Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. want to um, introduce our passage this morning by honoring a family that has had an enormous and lasting impact on Taste Creek Presbyterian Church. His family has never been to our church, has never given financially to our church, as far as I know, never even knew that our church existed. And yet it's not an overstatement to say our church would not be what it is today were it not for this family. I want to tell you about the Bowl family. Don and Dot Bowl lived a parent's worst nightmare when they tragically lost their teenage daughter, Vicki Bowl, in a boating accident. But Don and Dot did not walk that tragedy like you would expect. Instead, there was a peculiar peace Um, confidence, hopefulness that transcends worldly understanding as they laid their daughter to rest. Well, watching the Bowles live through this tragedy was a high school friend of their daughter who passed away, Sandra Marlowe. Sandra was a strong and uh, spunky teenager who, if you know Sandra, this will come as no surprise to you, says that she was on the road toward radical feminism, which is I don't know if she ever escaped that road. Sandra's, Sandra's something else. Well, Sandra watched Don and Dot Bull walk through the tragedy of losing their daughter and Sandra's friend Vicky, and she was amazed. How could parents respond to this parental nightmare with such hope? Sandra didn't understand, and she left all of this saying this to herself, whatever the bowls have, I want. And what the bowls had was Jesus. Jesus, the light so bright that even the darkness of bearing a teenage daughter was not an unbearable darkness to the bowls. And so in direct fulfillment of Sandra's favorite verse, she quite literally saw the bowls' good works and gave glory to their father in heaven. The Bowles witness gave us the Sandra Marlowe that our church has known and loved for many years. And what would the story of Taste Creek Presbyterian Church be without Sandra Marlowe? I know Wayne is great and all, but um, our joke is we kind of put up with Wayne to get Sandra. And even Wayne himself, one of the, honestly, 
Um, he, he stepped away from session when uh, Sandra was diagnosed. But Wayne is one of the best elders I have ever known. And he would be the first to tell you that he is who he is because of his wife. And yes, our church, and speaking personally, I as a pastor of this church, would not be who we are today without Sandra, and therefore we would not be who we are today without the Bowl family. I cannot think of a better way to illustrate the message of our passage this morning. Jesus, the true light of the world, was, has entrusted his light to his following. And slowly, organically, at times indiscernibly, his light has spread throughout this desperate and dark world with its redeeming radiance. That's what's before us in our passage this morning. And I want to just point out two things from it. This passage, Jesus is going to tell us who we are. He's going to give us our identity in this world. And I want to look at it two ways. The nature of our identity and then the purpose of our identity. First, the nature of our identity. Jesus says, you are, so he's about to tell you who you are. You are the light of the world. And what's interesting about that is he defines our identity by our relationship to the world, specifically by what we have to offer the world. Meaning this, the nature of who we are is bound to our calling in this world. Quite literally, we exist for the world to be for the world what our world so desperately needs. So before we can understand who we are, we must understand what is it that our world needs. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And implicit in that is this belief that our world is a dark place. And can anyone really disagree with Jesus here? I think we would all agree this world is amazing. But we cannot ignore its cursedness either. Its goodness, the goodness of our world, has been violated by violence and prejudice and perverseness and brokenheartedness, sickness, and of course the ultimate darkness of death. Now here I believe Christians and non-Christians, both religious and irreligious among us, find common ground. We can all agree that though this world offers glimpses of goodness, at the end of the day, none of us can escape its shadows. So here we all agree. But the disagreements begin to emerge when we ask the question, what are we going to do about the darkness? How are we going to fix this world? That's the question everyone's asking these days, is it not? Now, I don't have the time or, honestly, the expertise to critique all the proposed solutions that are being offered out there only to point out what seems to me self-evident It's not working. None of it's working. Political strategies have failed us. Social theory strategies fail us. Ironically, progress itself has failed us. We in the uh, modern developed world tend to have this naive view of the supposed uh, progress that we have made. The idea over the past century was if we could just replace the antiquated uh, ways of barbaric past, bound to its religious superstition, and move on toward enlightened ideas and education and tolerance and technology 
and all of that, that's going to fix the world. And yet, what did the refined 20th century give us? The darkest century in our world's history. Nearly an entire century of unbroken wars. 187 million deaths, approximately 10% of the world's population at the beginning of the 20th century died from violence by the end of the century. So much for the triumph of human progress. And so it seems that we are all left cursing the darkness with no real solutions to deal with the darkness. With one notable exception, the slow, methodical, generational triumph of light that began with Jesus of Nazareth. That's not me being a biased pastor. That's me taking seriously the historical scholarship. The eminent British historian Tom Holland, though himself is an atheist, he has spent his life researching the impact of Christianity on the world. And his historical conclusion is this. Christianity is a unique two-millennial revolution which has and is remaking the world for better. I'm not implying that Christianity has not been a complicated and messy movement. It has. It includes the Crusades, for example. And yet, despite its notable failures that we are quick to point out, and we should point out, still, the following of Jesus as a collective, generation after generation after generation of small, seemingly insignificant lights of the world has proven to be the greatest force of good our world has ever known. Again, I know it's complicated. Christians, uh, Christians owned and defended slavery, for example, but one cannot deny that it was also Christianity who first introduced abolition into a world that up until that point didn't have a category for societal life without slaves. The point I'm making here is Christianity has been tried and tested, and any unbiased conclusion would have to admit nothing has been better for the world than followers of Jesus. And in our hour of darkness, that task has been entrusted to us. Jesus says to every single follower of Jesus here, you are the light of the world. That's his strategy to fix the world. You, your life is his strategy to eradicate the darkness and make this world right again. Now, two things must happen if we are going to be faithful to this calling. The first is obvious in the imagery. You are the light of the world. On a most fundamental level, that means there must be a stark difference between the followers of Jesus and the rest of the world. As different as light is from darkness, so different should your life be from the world. But my concern in speaking of this stark difference from the world is that it would be viewed according to the ways of our angry and divided society. And in this way, the expectation to be different could wrongly be interpreted in a self-righteous, perhaps even antagonistic way. Meaning, here's what that means. We're not like those people, whoever those people are, for you and your imagination. And in this way, the culture war mentality is only perpetuated. It's us, the light, versus them, the darkness. Okay, that's not light into darkness, that's furthering the darkness. In fact, that's not even being different. For who doesn't act that way these days? It seems all we're doing is hating each other and fighting. 
So Christians joining that fight isn't being different in the least. You know it would be different? You know what our world, you know what our world doesn't have a category for? You know what would stand out in a blinding contrast to the ways of this world? That which Jesus just outlined before our passage. We recently spent months looking at the Beatitudes in detail. And our passage this morning directly follows the Beatitudes for a reason. You want to talk about a difference? You want to talk about something that stands out with blinding distinction? How about the poor in spirit? How about the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers? How about the persecuted who rejoice in their persecution? Where in the world is that these days? The answer is it isn't in our world, but that's what our world needs. And Jesus is demanding that we be that for the world. Self-righteous, us versus them, culture war fighting is everywhere in our world. But meek, merciful, pure in heart peacemakers who would dare rejoice when they are hated would be so different that the difference would be blinding in our world today. That is, of course, if it's out there for the world to see. And this gets to the other aspect of the nature of our identity. It's not just our difference, but it's our difference on display. Continue on. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works. What Jesus is saying here is really simple. Our difference is pointless if it's not on display for the world to see. Your good works are pointless if they do not see your good works. He says people don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. No, they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. He's saying who in their right mind would light a lamp and place it under a basket? It totally defeats the purpose of the lamp. The value of the lamp is found in its unique ability to give off light. If the light is hidden, then what's the point of the lamp? And then he seamlessly seamlessly connects that metaphor to our lives. Therefore, in the same way, in the same way as that lamp, you must let your light shine before others. The implication is easy. Even if we are embodying the light of Christ, if we are hiding it from the darkness, then what is the point? And now we come to a dilemma within the church, and it is not unique to our day. The people of God have always struggled with this. We have a proclivity to do exactly what Jesus warns of in our passage. Out of fear of the darkness, we hide from the darkness. Now listen, I get the fear. But I want you to know it's an unfounded fear. I ask you, which is more powerful, darkness or light? Every single time darkness encounters light, the light wins. In fact, darkness is nothing more than the absence of light. And so ironically, the darkness of the world that we fear and want to hide from is actually alleviated by our presence. So our proclivity to hide from culture in our little subculture is counterproductive. What we fear only grows in our absence. Thus, the way we confront our fear is not through hiding, but through engagement. So what is the nature of our identity? A difference on display. Compromise either, and we compromise our identity. 
But there's a last point to be made in our passage here that we dare not forget. We've seen the nature of our identity. Difference on display. That's who we are. Now, let's conclude with the purpose of our identity. We come now to Sandra's favorite verse. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is very clear here. The highest purpose of our identity is others giving glory to God. The end goal is not the improvement of our world. It is the worship of our world. We are not just religious moralists seeking to improve the behavior of the world. We are not just social activists seeking to improve the conditions of our world. We are missionaries seeking to improve the worship of our world. So what this means is that conversion to Jesus is the highest ambition and ultimate fulfillment of our calling. They see our good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That is conversion. That is people who once were in the darkness of enmity against God, but now because of the light of your life, the light of your good deeds, they now are giving glory to God. I celebrate the reorientation that is taking place in uh, evangelical culture where once again deeds of justice and mercy are receiving the prominence they deserve. It's a good thing because it is true Christians are not merely evangelists. Feeding the hungry, welcoming the outcast, freeing the oppressed, caring for widow and orphan, correcting injustice. These are not ancillaries to the Christian life. They are at the heartbeat of the Christian life. And yet, we must maintain a both-and approach to that which has traditionally been pitted against one another, the works of justice and the work of evangelism. We don't have to choose between the two. In fact, to choose is to compromise the other. You see, notice Jesus says, they see your good deeds and give glory to the Father. Do you see how interconnected he views the two? To him... Our good deeds, our deeds of love, mercy, and justice in this world and conversion to the Father in heaven are inextricably related, and this is true. To neglect good deeds in favor of just traditional good old evangelism is counterproductive to evangelism because the good deeds of Christianity have always been the church's greatest apologetic in the world. Historically speaking, what people have found most compelling about the Christian faith is not our reasoned arguments, but our virtuous practices. People want to follow the Savior whose following is fixing the world. Thus, they see your good deeds, and they say, I went went in on that. They see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. And yet, at the same time, Jesus is clear that good deeds alone, good deeds at the exclusion of of evangelism is also counterproductive to good deeds because the ultimate good deed is conversion to the good news. There is no greater act of mercy than people discovering the saving mercy of God. And so when it comes to this notion of being light in the world, what does that mean? Is it good deeds in this world or is it evangelism and conversion in this world? The answer is yes. Jesus will not let us choose. 
And so, because of that, because conversion is the ultimate overflow of the light of the world, I would be remiss if I didn't pause here to proclaim that ultimate fulfillment of good deeds for Jesus. Conversion to Jesus. Specifically, I, wanna, I want to speak to those who know and love Sandra Marlowe. Um, definitely here, but our second service uh, sermon from the second service is the one that gets posted online. And so I am sure that this sermon will get um, passed along um, to many who know and love Sandra. And so I, I want a I word to that. Sandra watched the bulls navigate the unthinkable darkness of losing a child and ended up following the same Jesus that gave the bulls light in their darkness. Well, now it's Sandra's turn to navigate another unthinkable darkness in ALS diagnosis. All of us are terminal. This is true since the fall. And who knows, tomorrow is not promised to any of us. And there may be some here or online who Sandra outlives. But yes, we must admit that nothing forces us to face our mortality more than the horrific diagnosis of ALS. And so to her friends who maybe would not call themselves followers of the Jesus that she follows, I wonder if you have watched Sandra walk that path of ALS in a way you cannot understand. Yes, of course, she has wept, but not as one without hope. Have you seen her peace? Have you seen her confidence, even her joy? Have you noticed the light in her as she journeys the terminal shadows of ALS? How is that possible? To all of us, how is it possible to walk a diagnosis like that in the way Sandra has? Well, Sandra has lost the ability to speak. So as her pastor, I'm going to proclaim for her what she cannot. That comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. Listen, you may be indifferent or even antagonistic to the Jesus who referred to himself as the light of the world, but I know you are not indifferent and certainly not antagonistic to Sandra. You love her, and you are amazed by her. Well, again, if Sandra could speak, she would be the first to tell you, if you think I'm amazing, you should meet my amazing Savior. If you love what you see in her, she would be the first to say, you should see the love of my Savior. Because to Sandra, the two cannot be separated. Her good works exist for others to give glory to the God that she loves. Which is why she would want me to shut up about her and get to the God (laughs) that she loves. Get to Jesus. So let me close with that. If you trace the innumerable stories of light into this dark world, all the way back through the centuries, all of them find their origin in the light of the world, who is the ultimate example of they see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. For what good deed can compare to a Savior hanging from a cross for our bad deeds? Ironically, the greatest good deed of light in this world was that fateful moment when the light of the world was extinguished by the darkness that every single one of us deserves. And then they laid his 
body to rest in a tomb, the final resting place of darkness, except not his tomb. The stone of his tomb was rolled away, flooding it with light, and then out of the tomb walks the light of the world, inaugurating a conquest of light that will not relent until this dark world is filled with light as his tomb was once filled with light. And now in our day, that conquest has been entrusted to us. Let us be found faithful in our calling as the light of the world. Let us follow in the noble example of Sandra Marlowe, who followed the example of Don and Dot Bull, who followed the example of who knows, all the way back to the original example of one man, Jesus, the source of light in this world, who has entrusted to us his calling. And so the conquest continues until this dark world is fully and finally overwhelmed with light, never to taste darkness again. Let me pray. Our Father, fill us with your light, that that light might fill this world. We don't have a Messiah complex. We don't want to rush to the burden of trying to fix the world you have given us. You have given us a tiny sphere of influence that is full of darkness. May we be found faithful where you have us to be light into that darkness, that they might see our good deeds and give glory to the God that we love. Lord, we come to your table, the sign of that faithful day when the light of the world was extinguished. But we remember that you rose from that darkness and will come again. And when you come, this world will never know darkness again. Hasten the day, Lord. Until then, strengthen us for the journey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.